The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Unfriend. And thanks, Don. Tonight, <laughs> we're going to be talking about media gatekeepers. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of media and who decided what people read and saw and talked about and heard. And, and because we're going to be talking about a little bit of a controversial media subject, we brought in our favorite Crontarian, Jack Ward. Welcome back to the show, Jack. Thanks for having me, and I just want to make it clear that I will be deciding what will be published from this show. So, <laughs> uh, yes, What sir. will be presented, what will not be. So we're yes, going to decide okay. right now. <laughs> no, it's great to have to be back with you guys. Thank you so much. Oh, so. Th- thanks, thanks for dropping by. Uh, we really appreciate it. We know you're a very busy man, and we appreciate you taking the time out to spend with us. It's been a while, and uh, mm-hmm. it's, we're glad you're not snubbing us anymore. Anyway, all right, so... <laughs> I will never snub you guys. You guys are my brothers. You guys are awesome. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, man. Anyway, <laughs> I can edit this later. All right. So, um, so to start, I think we should probably go with you know what exactly is gatekeeping. And so I'm going to do the usual and throw it to you, Don. What is gatekeeping in the media sense? Don't tell me about doors and iron bars and stuff. <laughs> We've already done that joke. <laughs> Uh, gatekeeping is a tricky one because what it historically means is for a lot of human history, if you really had media that you wanted to get out there, if you wanted to make a movie or you want to write a book or play a song, the only way you could really grab any kind of an audience was if somebody else produced and or distributed your work. And historically, the concept of a gatekeeper has referred to the people that control either the means of production or distribution for media. That is like the big media companies like the networks or the streaming services now or the record companies or the newspapers or anything like that. At least in the modern sense. I mean, if we want to go back way into prehistoric history, the first gatekeepers were basically the guys who decided who got to speak at the tribal meetings or who got to basically who got to sing the tribal songs and who, you know, are we going to be singing Bongo Bongo tonight or are we going to sing Hum uh, Chakalaka tonight, you know? And it's like, okay, Bob, it's your turn, you know, that kind of thing. They, they were basically kind of like the chiefs acted as media gatekeepers once upon a time. Um, and of course, back when you know words were free, it would have been mostly um, people just more social censorship kind of thing. The people deciding, okay, you know, we want to talk about this subject, but not that subject. Almost more moderation in a way, rather than gatekeeping. Um, but and but you're right. A lot of it does have to do with means of production, at least as far as we know, um, because it basically. Where it very quickly became that if you want to distribute media, especially to a mass audience, it became super expensive, especially when everything's being copied by hand, right? Mm-hmm. And so as an end result, 
suddenly you had these people who controlled what got copied by hand because someone had to pay for it and they said, well, what's in it for me? As everyone always does. And so the original gatekeepers, at least in the mass media sense, were mostly those people who were uh, willing to pay or had the means of production, as you said, to, uh, to distribute information in one form or another. Um, couple that, of course, with kings and politicians and censorship as well. And you have an interesting situation where only people who produce something that can make money are going to do it. And also you're, you can only do it if you um, are, sorry, you can only do it if you have the favor of the king or favor of whoever's in government, right? Otherwise, they don't want you talking about certain things. So so that could be an issue as well. Um, it is, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of the it's kind of the same though because um, historically up until fairly recently, and we've talked about this, the person who was in control was either the the monarchy or the uh, the local the local uh, religious leaders, oh, and yeah, they had good. they had amassed the resources that they controlled basically all facets of society, and then when you start getting to the Renaissance. And you have like the independently wealthy. They kind of just become another type of monarchy because again, they have all of the uh, the material resources to allow the ideas to get out. And like you were saying, if it's not just if the idea makes money, but if it serves some purpose yes, for somebody true. for somebody uh, not necess- somebody essentially in charge or pulling the strings. Because mm-hmm. you go back to caveman days, if Ugg wanted to say that like King Oog is terrible. Ugg would probably get beaten to death by King Oog's henchmen. Mm-hmm. Because King Oog, well, it's it's not the, uh, the he doesn't control the, uh, the means of production because there weren't any, mm-hmm. but he basically controls the resources, that being people with sticks. <laughs> uh, not just people with sticks, gatherings as well, right? I mm-hmm. mean, because, you know, in, you know, in the really caveman day, people are gathering around fires, Mostly, I make that joke with my media students that the original social media was the campfire because mm-hmm. it was. It brought people together and they engaged in uh, conversation, they engaged in entertainment, they engaged in sharing information, ideas, they gave feedback on things. Like, fire was the original form of social media. It's, it's what brought people together in a real sense, though, not in the virtual social media sense we do today. Right. <laughs> Um, and so, in a weird way, those who controlled the fire, or what happened at the fire, were the original gatekeepers, as I was saying. Yeah. And then, you know, as things progressed, yeah, there's also, as you said, the religion, the government leaders, etc. And they were deciding, you know, who says what and who gets what, what ideas get out there, because ideas can be dangerous, as uh, someone once said. And this goes to performances too. If we start to get into, uh, say, Shakespeare, for example, and the uh, the Shakespeare days, the Renaissance and such, we get into the theater. Well, who are the gatekeepers at that point, Jack? Oh, um, well, that was the government, of course, right? So, they really, were, they, well, yeah, they they decided if something was inappropriate, they would shut the entire theater down for sure. Right? Um, so not Shakespeare just them, though. Not just them, no, of course not. And of course the people who owned the theater would make decisions about what was what was profitable and what wasn't, right? Exactly. So if you want to go by what was profitable, they could have pushed the envelope a whole lot further, but they also were very aware that they could be hung. Like, take a look at A Midsummer <laughs> Night's Dream at the very end, that whole puck 
conversation. That's not written by the people who run the theater. That's written by the playwright to the audience, to the, the government to say, hey, don't hang us as witches. This is just for fun. Mm. Right? So there, there's if you want to talk gatekeeping, historically, you're talking about the difference between freedom and authoritarianism, right? So um, because there's two elements to gatekeeping, in my mm -hmm. opinion, and one of them is material and who owns the material, right? So when you're talking about publishing books or all that kind of stuff or the whole bit, that's, that's, that's one thing. But when you're talking about the fire... Um, once fire became democratized and anyone mm -hmm. could make their own fire, then they could have their own conversations and it would be fine. There's something very f uh, famously called the town square test, right? Mm -hmm. where, where, which was a threshold test for a free society proposed by um, a former Soviet guy, uh, Nathan Sharansky, who's who's was a, 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 a politician in Israel. And it basically the idea was if a person can walk into the middle of a town square and express their views without fear or arrest or imprisonment or physical harm, then they are not, that person is, that person is living in a free society if they can do that, right? If they can't, then they're not living in a free society. And one could make the argument that the internet used to be a free, an example of that town square. And we talk about it, uh, social media of being a town square, of a place for people to be able to have those kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. That's gone. So if that's gone, we don't have that, which means we are now living in an authoritarian society. Uh, and we are there's real fear and mm -hmm. we can talk about where that authoritarianism comes from because i have a theory which i think is a bit of a breakthrough theory on that but we can get down to that later on i so. think we'll, we'll we'll save that for a little bit later i think there's going to be a whole lot of theories flying around and uh <laughs> we'll see how much of it we'll see what which one of them gets us arrested eventually all right so. sounds great because yeah. because mm -hmm. jack hit on something important mm-hmm because you hit on there, there's a confounding variable to the whole the whole concept of gatekeeping, and you, you hit on it when you talked about the playwrights. They they kind of could push it more, but they didn't. They knew what would be profitable, what wasn't. It goes with that idea that's come up on the show a few times that society is not a thing. It's a bunch of things bumping into each other. So if I'm the playwright, I have the audience, I have my own interests. I have the local church, I have the local monarch, who are all vying for for audience, essentially. But the one thing that happens that you're, you, you get, even going back to the caveman days with King Og, is that idea that, and this is one of my pet peeves, that anybody who talks, like, like who critiques the media, especially film critics and that, have this concept that the audience is just a passive receptor, and they're not. They're part of the formula they're part of the the recipro they're a reciprocal actor mm -hmm. because even king og the caveman he knew if he pushed the people too far that they would thump him with a stick and just get a new king but mm -hmm. you might have to go really far and that's another thing i think to keep in mind because that's going to come back later on too that the audience isn't just a passive participant it's not that these factors are affecting the audience they're part of the whole chain of action because at any point, if you think back, like, say, the, the Shakespearean playwright, you've got Shakespeare and what he wants to do. 
He knows what side of the bread is buttered, so he's not going to piss off the people in charge. And and I never thought about the uh, puck speech about yeah, that's the um, that's the uh, earliest equivalent of the following incidents are not real. Do not try this at home. Blah blah. blah. It, <laughs> that's right. It, you're exactly right because then. Shakespeare knows the public will burn him as a witch. The church will burn him as a witch. He's got to mm-hmm. give the public their yucks because an unhappy audience in that day would wreck the place. It'd be like the Red Wings winning the game. Yep. And all of these things—they're all actors. They're—they're—they're—they're they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're all kind of um, trying to get what they want from all of the other participants. Do you know why uh, Macbeth is the shortest play that Shakespeare wrote? No. It's because the king had a sh- short attention span. <laughs> so he could only do like two and, two and three quarter hours as opposed to like a four and a half hour Hamlet, right? So Macbeth, he's like, you got to cut this down because we're going to lose the audience. The most important audience is the king, right? So, um, and he's, he was a Scottish king, of course. So he's trying to, he was writing it for him in that particular case. So it's mm-hmm. fascinating how that is. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Don, I think you're like right on the money with that is that we 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 have to recognize that the audience is not a single entity and and that's the problem with a lot of this gatekeeping stuff is it suggests a homogeneity um and you mm-hmm. know when I did a lot of research um to look at gatekeeping it's funny that you like get into two camps right so you get into the camp of um, this gatekeeping is coming from the old guard. I'm, I'm talking about nerd culture right now, right? Mm-hmm. So this this gatekeeping is coming from the old guard because they hate girls, right? That's the whole right. thing, right? And then the the other camp is the, these people are doing as 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 Don would say is they're destroying our childhood because they're they're remaking stuff in such a way that it just it's not right now it could be crap it could be good it doesn't really matter but those are like the two different ways of looking at it but it's i find it's fascinating because i think we need to differentiate this right away let's let's differentiate the idea of gatekeeping and get and and pull out all the ideas of straight out sexism racism and homophobia because as far as i'm concerned those are used as excuses to muddy the water but they're really not the purpose that either side argues for gatekeeping. I mean, they argue it as a way of, of gatekeeping, but it's not really the issue of what comes down to gatekeeping. So you can say, well, we have to do this because of sexism, or we have to do this because of racism. But that's kind of like Apple saying, we have to go through all of your pictures because of um, pedophilia. Well, it's, 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 it's an excuse but the question is, is it really what the problem is? And is it really the issue of gatekeeping? Because really the issue of gatekeeping has straight out to do with power, right? Who has the power and who doesn't? And it, it, I think, just if I can interrupt for a second, I just wanted to echo that, echo what Jack was saying in a way, that I think we should actually always remember that the purpose of gatekeeping, generally speaking, is the acquisition and maintenance of power for the most part, right. power or and or resources in society. That is the real purpose of gatekeeping is you want to make sure that, you know, things stay good, things that you agree with and that help you are being promoted and that you like and things that you don't like and that don't help you in some way are not being promoted. That is the purpose of gatekeeping one way or the other. Yes. There, there isn't just one. Mm-hmm. Like what, what, when you're talking something like say, um, 
uh, like protest movements and that. Mm-hmm. That's a type of gatekeeper. That's I, I call them concerned citizens. They've been my bane since I was a child. Mm-hmm. And that's like the, the, the grassroots public outcry about blah, blah, blah. That's a certain kind of gatekeeper, and it shows that reciprocity. And that's one of the problems we have nowadays. It's the idea like, uh, I think we've mentioned before, when it came to, say, television. The big television networks, remember those kids? Mm -hmm. But the big networks had a formula that if they got one angry letter about a show, that represented the opinion of a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I forget the exact formula. That was how it worked. An angry phone call was good for, like, the opinion of 10,000 people. Wow. And this is how, like, your group of angry church ladies could get all my favorite TV shows taken off the air. Because if I have, a hundred, like, if I have, like, say, 50 angry church ladies each write a letter, that's, like, 5,000 letters. That represents the opinion of, like, half a million people as far as the network is concerned. Mm-hmm. And they can mm-hmm. they can crank that out in an afternoon. Uh, going the other way, it was that was what kept Star Trek on the air, the original one, for another year was the letter writing campaign, and it's because they had this almost arbitrary formula that the opinion, like each letter represents X amount of, of audience share. Even like the Nelson system is essentially arbitrary. It's 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 an informed guess based on mathematical probability. But it's still kind of a guess. And because of that, you had the concerned citizens that would get a lot of sway in the formula. They become gatekeepers because of that. And what you get in the modern age with the Internet is we've kind of lost that capacity to judge just how prevalent any idea comes up is. And the biggest problem is because there's so much competition for attention nowadays any the, the only people who get any press are like the louder ones, the crazier ones, the 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 weirder ones, the ones that they know are going to get an extreme reaction either mm-hmm. for or against. Mm-hmm. And it further messes that formula up so that the problem like say if you're a creator nowadays and I think you guys will both empathize, it's really impossible to tell where you stand a lot of the time, especially if you start getting uh, like negative input, negative reviews, because you don't know, is this just like one angry person? Is half my audience mad at me about this? Because the internet will lose their shit over everything nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's funny though, Don, like what you're you're describing about Star Trek, because mm-hmm. I'm a big Star Trek nerd, is actually an urban legend. And that was gatekeep. That was created by Gene Roddenberry himself to try to talk about how popular he was specifically. It didn't <laughs> it didn't come down to the number of, of uh, people who wrote in specifically. I didn't realize that until I read another book. I think it was the one with Herb Solo and, and Robert Jossman, but I'll have to remember that. Because they said, yeah, it wasn't really come down to that. That was something that Gene Roddenberry liked to pass along when he went to universities so he was a gatekeeper for (laughs) star trek uh you know history for many years wasn't he he was like the main people people went to person people went to for that for like i think i think you got the right thing because it for me the real problem isn't whether there are people who disagree with you or vehemently think your geek or nerd stuff is bad it's really one of two things one they have the power to cancel your joy because they don't like it Mm-hmm. Or two, they have the power to harm your job or your personal relationships because you like it. Mm. Yep. Those and are the two things that's the biggest problem with gatekeeping. 
because I have no problem with people arguing with me and saying, you know, stuff like, you know, anime is awesome. I have no problem with people arguing with me about that and giving their ideas about it and the whole bit, but I'm never going to go out and cancel anime or try to because it's not something I personally love wholeheartedly. You know what I mean? It makes no mm. sense to do that. So we can argue about stuff. That's awesome. But when you're trying to like destroy somebody's joy because you don't think they have the right to do it, to me, that's power. That has nothing to do with what, what you like and what you don't like. If, if, if I may, um, we oh. should probably differentiate between the different types of gatekeepers. Like there's, the, of course, yeah. the producers and everything, the producers of media, which is what Don is alluding to. And then, Jack, you kind of shifted what you're talking about is what we'll call the, um, the audience gatekeepers, which, is, which, which, again, those are slightly separate things. I mean, they do interact with each other, obviously, as Don mentioned earlier, right? There's a feedback loop between the producers and the consumers and everything else. But... Those are still different things, especially when we start talking about um, what's referred to as like new media, where we're talking about interactive media, right? Like like YouTube yeah. or social media. Yeah. That. That's those are that's very different than say television and movies, especially in yesteryear. But here is yeah, that's my point. Is I think what we're dealing with nowadays, <clears throat> the gatekeepers are the viewers as opposed to what they were before. They're the ones that will cancel shows more than, than they've had in the past. Don's right. There were always like, you know, the, was it the moral majority and stuff like that, that mm. they had their fingers into stuff, but they were also more cranks than anything else. And they could go after somebody's advertising, but they couldn't go after necessarily destroying to the same degree as we have like right now, like, I mean, just off the top of my head, I remember what was, uh, um, uh, Carino, uh, fired from the Mandalorian because she oh, said yeah, insensitive Carino, yes. posts, mm -hmm. right? So she said insensitive posts or, um, the flash, the guy from the flash, Hartley Sawyer, yes. who, who he played, um, uh, Ralph Digby. Yeah. The yeah. elongated man. Right. And again, because he made some racist, homophobic language that he deleted all of those posts before him, but somebody went back and found them and, 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 and got them about it. So, and I always ask these questions like, yeah, I remember, <laughs> remember uh, Back to the Future at the end of like the third episode and they're talking about Biff doing all this stuff. And, and he looks at the audience, basically, I'm talking about Michael J. Fox's character, looks at the audience, Marty, and he says, he's an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, that was, should have been enough, right? You know, this guy's a jerk. <laughs> Ignore what he has to say. What is he doing on film? But it's not. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to be perfect nowadays. You, you can't have changed. Nobody sits there and looks at somebody and says, well, 25 years ago they said this, but now they're a better person. There's no, there's no room for that in a lot of cases. So if you want to talk gatekeeping in the past – you're right. It was the people who had the money who ran the stuff and the whole bit. The gatekeeping of the future seems to be, um, you could argue it's democratic, I suppose, but it's it's the it's the the feedback and the ire of the people online. The mob, yeah. Or another. It's the mob. Yeah but, yeah, but all that does. It was always the mob. It's just the mob is much faster. And if I was a wackadoo back in the day and I wanted to key up with other wackadoos for our, our campaign to get the color blue band or whatever it is I, I wanted, I had to go meet them. We had to have newsletters. We had to, like, 
you know, put ads in the back of weird magazines and hope somebody else like responded to them, things like that. Because what ends up happening, and and this is where I think people who who critique, you know, like the like the mob, especially in terms of like the SJW types, you're forgetting that it's not just that the mob protests this person because they said something terrible 50 years ago, and that's why they got to be totally canceled. That means nothing. The only reason that has any power is because the people producing the work that that person who said something stupid 50 years ago is in is now afraid of that bad press. They're afraid that that mob represents a significant part of their potential audience and they'll lose money because of it. It's the exact same thing as the little angry church ladies back in like the 70s or the 80s, except like I said, because of the nature of of the internet, we can't come like the little old ladies had more say than they should have in a lot of cases but that system's broken even more now because of the speed and the fact that on the internet a couple of people can look like a crowd it's that much more impossible to gauge just how prevalent that idea is and like i say it's the same principle the internet didn't give us anything new but it's so much more of it and that's where you get that problem and Mm. it happens so quick that 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 there's 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 never been a way to verify any kind of level of um of dispersal about that sort of thing because mm-hmm. things happen so fast nobody can sit back like you're looking at that now with uh the QAnon types and the the raid on the capital in the states that there's questions now of how prevalent are these silly ideas about you know reptilians like eating children with the Clintons like there's no way to accurately judge how deep that runs. And again, it's because of the nature of the internet and it's all Google's fault. Right. Mm. Right. So, um, I think my issue is, are you still there? That's good. Uh, My issue (laughs) is that it is it, the difference, like you say, it's, it's, it's not that much different. Um, however, a horse cart, and a jet engine or a jet are still transportation, mm-hmm. but it's, it is a difference in kind when you get such a feedback loop that comes back in. You can have outrage literally the same hour something has been announced that right. can t- shut everything down. I just watched again Bill Maher on, uh, and he talks about this a lot on Real Time, and he had Andrew Sullivan on there. So Andrew Sullivan used to be, when I was younger, a conservative. And then, he, you know, the conservative went crazy, and so he, he became a liberal, and he was working for New York Magazine. And last year, he was nominated for a Pulitzer. This year, he had four days' notice and was fired. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because of anything he wrote. It was because he wouldn't go along with their particular, he called it, woke agenda. So you're no longer fired by the editor nowadays. You're fired by the the tr- the quote unquote true opinion that comes in in social media. Those are the gatekeepers now, and we had similar issues talking through New York Times, where there was a, a, like a series of firings of some pretty long term New York Times people because they weren't going to follow a, pr- a particular new agenda that would be uh, beneficial to the new gatekeepers in social media. Um, when, when you get like. When you get people like Malcolm Gladwell, who's like the most easygoing person, angry and writing an article, are we repeating cancel culture of the 1950s? 
you start wondering, maybe this is something different that we really haven't seen before. Except apparently in the 1950s. Exactly, except in the 1950s. So we have seen it before, obviously. Um, but he, that's his title. But if you if you read his actual article, he tells you this is the 1950s on crack. Like this is this yep. is something yeah. that we and that's why he brings it up so that people can recognize. Yeah, we hated what happened in the 1950s with you know the trials and 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 the whole scare of communism and stuff like that. That's nothing compared to today. It is this. I think where I would disagree is your analogy. That we're not talking about a horse cart and a jet. We're talking about a horse cart and a Lamborghini testiculera. That, or whatever they're called. They're the same kind of thing, but it's the magnitude that changes. Because, again, back in the day, you could be thrown off of, of, of a paper by the editor. As, especially if you go back, say, like a pre-World War II, before we had any even pretense of journalistic integrity for not towing the line. Sure. It, it's just that idea that, that, like I say, where I think the problem is, I think we're looking at the same thing. And this is why I kind of suspect that growing up, we, we to, to, to use an example, read different comic books, because all the ones that I like were always under attack by somebody for something. And that's why I say what we're seeing nowadays, I don't see as different. Except in the volume, where, where, like I say, we're seeing the exact same things happen. You're getting groups of people who don't like something because it either goes against their taste or it goes against um, their conception of what people should be doing, thinking, or feeling. And they're mobilizing, they're joining together, and they're going out and protesting and pissing people off and getting things like like banned. Because, again... It's, it's that thing, it's the speed, it's also that idea that one of the reasons why what you can and can't do changes so quickly now is because, again, when you've got all the wackadoos teaming up, back in the day, my wackadoo group, in order to stick together, when we had to, like, ditto newsletters and shit to each other, we'll go talk 70s, 80s, before BBSs even. Mm-hmm. The Z era. Yeah, it was a lot of effort to keep our little dysfunctional group together. So we had to be pretty on page. Whereas nowadays, you can be an an angry, concerned citizen tourist. I can be offended that there isn't nearly enough uh, Micronesian representation in entertainment. (laughs) And then once that becomes an issue, because it's, 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 again, it's that idea that we're looking for for the flashiest, the loudest, the biggest, once that becomes a recognized issue, well, then it's not flashy anymore. So then I have to say, well, left-handed Micronesians and my little group can break off and then your little group can say, no, 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 it's not the left-handed ones. It's Micronesians with one ear longer than the other that need representation. And then (laughs) we can now fight with each other because that fighting is what gets us the attention and makes us useful and powerful. And then the worst part we have nowadays is that while all of that's going on, somebody else can come in and say, but all of this arguing about Micronesians is just bullshit, cancel culture, and it's getting out of hand, the kids, and now they can capitalize on that issue, Mm -hmm. but in the other direction. And like I say, that's what you're seeing, and you saw that back in the day, but because it took so long to mobilize and mail and phone and find enough people to really get the attention of like the moneymakers, you didn't see it start breaking down quite that much. You saw little bits like... um, 
both of you are pretty uh pretty up on the ufo uh community if you look at like the the people who would be say true believers and genuine analysts if you get to say the 90s you start seeing even them breaking into opposed camps yeah and and i think part of that Mm -hmm. is again because in the 90s you're starting you have bbs's and a lot of these people use them so those that information can pass quicker we can form our little cabals and talk about how rob isn't quite on the same page as as the rest of us are and we can do it quickly and that's what you're seeing and what you're seeing nowadays is almost utter chaos because that's happening so fast and the ultimate gatekeepers in in the media respect being the people with the money and who are going to make the money and who want to pander to their audience because that's how you get an audience they're having a hell of a time keeping up because again it changes so quick that you never know but it's the exact same principle it's the same principle that we had back you know if you want to go back to like the 14 1500s yeah there'd be witches in town it's that exact same stuff it's just it's happening so quickly and so readily like if if you want to be a like this is the thing you see with a lot of modern issues now is that you can be a casual wackadoo like if 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 i really i don't know if i believe that the uh clintons eat babies with tom hanks but <laughs> I don't know, that could be a thing, sounds cool, I'll look into some of it for a while, and then when, like, the next thing comes along, and it's, oh, what's that, Donald Trump's hair is actually an extraterrestrial controlling him for the Russians? Oh, I'll go over there for a while, see what that's like. (laughs) You've been on Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I haven't, and now you know why. (laughs) Now I want to see a fight scene between Shatner and Trump's hair. (laughs) (laughs) What if they team up? That's that's right, and take over the world. There's there's another animation there that could be done for sure. No, I I the, but one of the big differences, at least in my lifetime, is and I heard it articulated by somebody who used to go around speaking, and she would say, I loved going to places which disagreed with me because we could have those conversations. We can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Now 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 I could lose everything if I don't pick the audience that agrees with me and where's the fun with that? You know, where 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 am I I'm just I'm just preaching to the choir all the time. So you want to go back with the whole idea of, you know, um start I forget what the reference you used what star, let's just say nerds talking about which which is right and which is wrong. Which which Star Trek version is better, next generation or classic? Mm-hmm. They would argue and joke about that, but they wouldn't block each other. No, they'd have flame wars. Yeah, they yeah, would. But they would continue talking still, right? Yeah, like, kind of. It, it wouldn't be that I'm I'm going to take my my uh, my my uh, shovel or whatever and my bucket and go home. It was like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna have these. But I mean, they have these flame wars now. Like you were talking, Rob, about uh, you know the the. The what are they called? I, I keep forgetting. Them. I find them just distasteful, but that's because I'm old. Um, where where they just insult each other in in you know sort of rap battles. That's it, rap battles. Yeah, rap. Battles. So that's <laughs> wow, that's, that's what Flame ago, Wars. But okay, that's but I mean that's what Flame Wars turned into, right? Uh, they still do them 
all the time, right? So they're still done all the time. Uh, uh, not really. That was actually a more entertaining version of it that they kind of did for fun. But that wasn't really meant to be an actual uh, flame war. That no, no, real flame wars are still flame wars. They don't call them that anymore. I'm trying to remember what there is a term now that they knew. You know, the kids today have a new term. But what we used to call right. flame wars anyway. No, that still happens. Happens constantly on Reddit. Um, yeah, but but the thing the thing was back in the day. Like I can remember a few places I was on in like say the early '90s. No, the flame wars got bitter and vicious. The big difference from nowadays was the average person neither knew nor gave a shit. Right. Whereas nowadays, because again, if, the if you're is common culture, it's common culture, and if you're one of the uh, the bigger outlets, be you an internet outlet or an old media outlet, you're always looking for that thing that you think people care about that you can use and grab. So if you see like a big argument about something, you, it, it it goes up like that. That's why you see all kinds of like stupid shit on the quote unquote real news. Mm-hmm. Because they think this is things that people are interested in, like like back in the day, Joel versus Mike, the average person didn't know Joel who, like Billy Joel. What the? What, what, what are you talking about? I I don't know. Mike McDonald, the comedian, Billy Joel, Mike McDonald are fighting. I don't know. But nowadays, again, because the internet's prevalent, because a lot of entertainment is universal, and this gets to another weird thing. I, I I'd, I'd like to get to it some at uh, some point. Because it's all more universal, it takes on that greater sense of urgency. And this is the reason we can't have that discussion, because you get those third fingers in the pie that want to keep stoking the flames. They have no interest in it, other than they can now take take a side and get some attention for themselves, and they stoke those flames to ridiculous points, so that Mike or Joel isn't just a matter of taste. It represents the fate of the whole entire entertainment industry. And if you pick wrong, everything's going to collapse. They'll be goose-stepping in Hollywood or not goose-stepping, depending on who you're selling your ideas to. Everything will collapse. 50 years of, like, disaster and darkness. Dogs and cats living together. Blah, blah, the whole... The whole. <laughs> and that's one of the big differences because of that, that speed and volume third parties can get involved more and they do and that's one of the reasons why they become not exactly a gatekeeper they kind of become like a a bizarre sort of uh scalper for tickets into into these different like gated intellectual communities well it's the difference between the beatles saying we're bigger than jesus being a cultural event that that identified an entire part of part of their like their legacy and their decades and the whole bit and Brian Adams making a a a, a post on Instagram uh which is a Thursday mm-hmm. right and 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 people burning his records after he said something I don't even know what it was it had, it said it was something that he was trying to talk about veganism or something or at least that was his excuse but i mean that's that's the levels that we've gone to we've gone to oh yeah Remember when the Beatles did that and that was like everybody was destroying their records? Yeah, that happened once. I can't even think of another band that happened to. Oh, and no, I that, can't... That happened a lot. It did happen really? a lot. Really? In, in the 50s. 80s, Not, 50s. 80s, it, give, 50s. Give me, give me three more bands that that happened to in the 60s. Because that's, that's when it happened was the 60s, right? Or is the late 50s. I can't remember. But the point is I, I don't know of any others. Whereas I could probably 
go on for the next hour to the number of people who just last year were canceled who were musicians for one way or another saying something. Even saying something they did six, seven years ago and had deleted, right? Oh, so. you, you, you definitely can. And that's, and that's what I'm getting at is that that's not something new. It's just the, the volume of it. Because it goes back when I was a little kid. I used to think that grown-ups looked for things to get angry about. And now that I'm one of them, I firmly believe it. <laughs> and, and that's... Rage is addictive. Anger is mm. addictive because it gets you all fired up. It releases sure. chemicals in your brain that make you think you did something. Mm-hmm. Like when you, mm-hmm. No, it's, it's true. When you come down from it, your brain thinks you just had a workout. I must have achieved something. I'm all tired and wore out. And that's one of the reasons why it, it's so addictive. It's, it's, it's the idea that if I wanted to protest uh, you know, John Lennon saying that, well, we're bigger than Jesus now. If I, I, I'd have to physically go out and buy the album and physically go to the bonfire and throw it in and sit there and yell and holler with, with people. And they'd be, they'd be coordinated. We'd have to, like, time that. You know, well, what time is everybody coming for the uh, record burning and stuff? Whereas nowadays, I can, like, you know, how does that line go? You can rest assured that within minutes, I was expressing my discontent all across the Internet. Yeah. So pe- so people do. It's like I said, you can be a hate tourist now. As the, so people do because that's like I said, it feels like you did something. So, th- but I mean, those are the those are the new gatekeepers. Well, th- I I would disagree because they're not new. It's just that there's more of them now. Well, there's more of them because it's more profitable. Like, and it's yeah, easier. This is this is the thing, right? Back in the like say sixties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, doesn't matter. Uh, pre-internet days, we'll say. Um, this stuff wasn't. It was semi-monetized in the form of like newspaper articles and everything that did happen. But generally speaking, the newspapers weren't usually looking to actually stoke this. This was just going to be an interest article, <laughs> usually about like I mean, you know, people stoking things were letters to the editor, basically. They would try to do that shit, but yeah. other people I'm, outside letters to the editor and the occasional opinion column, they didn't really do that stuff very often, and it was very limited. Whereas yeah, right now, I can tell you that every... Li- okay, so because I've got the Google News app on my phone, and I glance at it, you know, maybe about once a day I'll glance at it or stuff. It's amazing mm-hmm. how much stuff that I see on Reddit, and then two, two days later I'm seeing turned into a uh, controversial article on right. the Google News app. And it's literally right. just someone who skimmed the main ideas of the article, summarized it up, maybe added a video, added a tiny bit of commentary if they bothered, and then mm-hmm. thrown that up. And it becomes a feedback loop. Then that article will get reposted again on Reddit or some some social media, and people will talk about this. And, and in the process, that article writer company, it might even be an AI at this point, may as well be, <laughs> um, is actually making money off it. They're making money off clicks and advertisement and everything else. So yeah. it's literally in their interest to, to stoke this stuff. Like, in fact, that you could argue that a huge amount of internet "quote unquote" news is just that. It's just yes. anger bait. It's mm-hmm. just opinion pieces. It's just stuff that literally exists to get people angry, to get them to click, because that's what they discover works. And right. it's that feedback loop that they're using to make money, right? I mean, the whole purpose of one of the reasons why Citizen Kane was so controversial and and basically destroyed Orson Welles' career, it wasn't because the audience decided that he needed to be stopped. It was the person he was making fun of. 
It was mm-hmm. the actual gatekeeper of the time. So the gatekeeping has gone from, you know, these these monolithic people who ran these businesses to these angry people uh, at, on their keyboards. Um, and this th- this does and, and you know, like I said, it's in some ways it's a little more democratic, perhaps. Uh, but I think there's something to be said when you talk to people who were reporters back in the 80s and they and they complained that that the big it was better having the two or three big companies because they kind of forced each other to be better doing the news because they were always trying to outdo themselves in the news. The moment we democratized the news and had the citizen journalists and stuff like that, it kind of went all the way of of gossip stuff. And I would because argue, they kn- sorry, Jack, I would disagree. Having seen and if you can you look it up, I've mentioned on the show before. Go watch the first broadcast of CNN. <laughs> Go watch the first broadcast of CNN. The very first one, it went online in, I think it was September 1981, I think it premiered, but somewhere around yeah. there. And CNN isn't one of the top, the, the one of the big three I'm talking about, though, right? No, you no, know? but... It was the thing. You can literally look at it and go, there it is. There's the thing. Because it's literally them listing off how many shootings happened across the United States that day. And then (laughs) But that fits fits my argument, Rob, because that's a a 24-hour news station Mm -hmm. designed to be able to get eyeballs to talk about what they're doing. As opposed to the big three who had news nightly and in the morning for an hour. So you got what was important within mm. the hour as opposed to trying to get more eyeballs and coming up with more salacious stories and all that kind of stuff. That was the beginning of that kind of gossiping stuff that we started seeing everything from Entertainment Tonight and Stars and all that kind of stuff, just trying to get people to get, you know, salivating over something. Yep. The news back in the day, those big three, they were there to inform you. It wasn't... If you yeah. go back and look at some of those news and again, I'm not saying they were informing you uh, objectively, but uh, they were not super entertaining <laughs> the earlier versions of those news. They weren't the sound bites that they were. They weren't broken down in the short form. The CNN was really part of that rebuilding of that whole idea of the news structure. And, and that's why Fox News had its own version and CTV jumped in with its own version to trying to be NCBC trying mm-hmm. to rebuild that idea of like, let's just keep talking about this news item and looking at it from every possible pr- perspective and make it as exciting as possible so those people stay on this channel yeah yeah kind of um cnn really kind of mixed it up but the uh, the big networks it wasn't for lack of trying it was because like you said they had like maybe uh, an hour and a half a day for the news so they had to kind of distill everything into into a, a neat package the the old joke that shows that they used to actually do that shows that no, they were they were still priming the pump too. Is when you'd see it like eight o'clock. The common household object in everybody's home that could kill you <laughs> tonight at eleven. Yeah, right, thanks for right. making me wait three fucking hours to find out how I'm gonna die. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, oh yeah. Uh, one other thing I might add. Um, also, one of the major events was I believe it's eighty-eight, but you, I'm, I'm gonna have to double check that uh, when the fairness doctrine was struck down. Yes. Because <laughs> prior time. to the fairness doctrine, if you had a social issue or something like that, you had to get equal time to both sides. Yes. And then it was the striking down of the fairness doctrine that allowed on both radio and television 
basically became the Wild West. You were allowed to be as partisan and lie your ass off and do whatever else you want, do basically whatever you wanted as soon as I believe it was George Bush Sr. who struck down the Fairness Doctrine. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, we the, Tucker Carlson came out and won a court case by them saying nobody believes him anyway, right? And so mm-hmm. NBC was all like, there you go, you can't believe Fox News. And then the same thing happened with Rachel Maddow, right? So she, they, there was a court case where she, they used that same argument. Nobody believes that she's telling the truth anyway. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's that whole thing. It, it really devastated. And, and people wonder why they don't trust the news and they don't trust mainstream media. Not that you should trust, you know, smaller media anymore. You just, again, the whole trust and verify is a really important thing. So, You never should just trust. Because that's going back to the uh, days of the networks, like uh, pre-CNN or early CNN. I remember like the early 80s, peak satanic panic. They, they weren't running those stories about Dungeons and Dragons makes a guy kill himself or backwards messages and heavy metal turns you into a satanic drug addict. They weren't running those out of any sense of journalistic integrity. It was There was always those sensationalized topics and they would play what they thought it was that the majority of their audience wanted to see. Now, there were standards then, so you, you had to fudge it. You couldn't basically outright lie all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. when, you get, when you get to the 90s, you had more of that, and that's my favorite example is eye-doping. Mm-hmm. Eye-doping <laughs> is how... Certain fr- certain frequencies in your iPod were getting the kids high. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fucking stupid. <laughs> and and they always did stuff like that because again, you're looking for the audience, but there were more constraints. What right. what you talk about when you hit the internet? And we talked about the idea too that post internet, there's so much competition for an audience. There's so much pandering. Hmm. What ends up hammering, I think, the last nail in, in the coffin of any kind of, um, I'll say meaningful gatekeeping, any kind of gatekeeping with standards, mm-hmm. is Google. 1998 is the day that integrity died because of Google. Mm. Uh, before and you go there, can I just interrupt that it was actually uh, August 5th, 1987, under Reagan that the Fairness Doctrine was killed, under his uh, okay. FCC chairman, Dennis, uh, Dennis R. Patrick, was the one who okay. killed it. Um, sorry, I just wanted to correct that. Thanks I, for the I, clarification. Bush Sr. Yeah. by accident. It was actually Reagan. Sorry, sorry. It was the same ballpark. Nobody's going to blame you for that. <laughs> yeah, well. Except for the gatekeepers are going to quit cancel us all. So they, <laughs> the news gatekeepers. The news gatekeepers. Exactly. I feel like Johnny Fever. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean I can't say booger on the air? That's right. Now, the phone cops. Remember the phone cops? Oh. Yes. That was yeah. that was a great episode, yeah. Um, no, it's funny. Like you mentioned, I just want to throw this in. You, you, we talked about this again off the air. You talked about the satanic panic being a big thing where you went. I was like, to me, I was trying to think back. Like the only time I heard of the satanic panic when I was a kid, and it was just like mazes and monsters, and all mm-hmm. it did was make us want to play D and D, right? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know that uh, an episode of Ideas talked about Dungeons and Dragons, and they brought in. Uh, bad, bothered about Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. uh, which was funny. I just thought it was hilarious because I'd never heard of such a thing in the small town that I grew up in. So, mm-hmm. so Don, you said that it died with Google in 1998. Why? Because uh, do you remember what Google did as a search engine that made it different from the other ones? 
Um, it was better at finding web pages, actually. It, fi it found pay what pages connected to other pages and kept following those links and indexing them as best it could. That's what yeah. made it better than the other ones. Well, not exactly. Cause remember it also it would find what you liked, right? It, it started doing that later. The original, oh, okay. the original algorithms that they used, if you remember, search engines before, like if I wanted to look up, I, I don't know, Hobbit feet, mm -hmm. it would... It would most search engines would uh, prioritize based on how many times my, my parameters were mentioned in the articles. Google started prioritizing based on how many other websites referenced that website. In yes, essence, yeah. it ranked them by popularity. Yes, it did. Right. Yeah, right. right. You're right. I forgot that, that. Yeah. That's what started the Internet's massive need for views and clicks was that algorithm, that idea that... It wasn't any kind of content. It was popularity. And that's why when you Google something now, a lot of times you'll get negative stuff as the highest priorities because that's what everybody's looking at the most because, you know, of course, hate sells because it's addictive. Mm -hmm. But that was the thing. That was kind of the point where facts died and all of life, all of media started down that trail to becoming nothing but a popularity contest. Yeah, that's a good point, Don. Very that's, good. I'd never yeah. thought of that one, but you're right. That's the point. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That is exactly the point. Yeah. Crazy. The internet turned into a giant popularity contest at that point because whoever mm -hmm. ranked the highest on Google basically, for a long time, made a shit ton of money. Actually, you mm -hmm. still do. You still make, make yeah. money. And if Google decides to delist you for whatever reason, you might as well be dead on the internet. You just don't exist anymore. Yep. Right. Because... People don't remember when the internet really starts in like the early 90s. People don't, I don't think anybody under the age of 40 realizes how it worked. Because you've got, I, you see references to the deep web. Mm -hmm. And the deep web is essentially websites that don't show up on search engines. Yep. That's, That's not the dark, the dark web actually. Yeah. No, actually the dark web specifically are websites that I need special software to access. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. The deep web is just, it's just stuff that, they, they, they're, they're, you can see the overlap, but it's just stuff that doesn't show up in a search engine. And you guys probably remember, the earliest days of the internet, nothing showed up in a search engine because there weren't search engines. That's right, yeah. I had to type the link in. I had to mm -hmm. find things by chance. Uh, yeah. That, that was why things like web rings were really popular. Big time, for sure. Mm. And, and GeoCities, yeah, remember GeoCities? Yep. And stuff like that, like these big places where you could have a bunch of different websites and find each other a little more easily that way, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. because they were intranets, they were self-contained internets in the World Wide Web, right? Mm -hmm. And that was how it worked, and that's why even when you go back in those days, if I'm a wackadoo and I want to team up with other wackadoos, it's a lot easier. Like I could just go on like Angelfire dot um, Reptilian slash Clinton's Eat Babies dot whatever <laughs> yeah. and be and be hooked up with more people in my eye but again i had to actively search that out it was a little easier than me handing you my ditto copied zine at the local like uh, area 81 convention <laughs> but it was it was still it still took time when you start right. getting into like the 2000s you've got the internet is prevalent You've got a number of search engines, and the most popular one links things by popularity. And that's where it really starts getting easy to key up. And that's where you see that, that idea of 
the nature of gatekeeping, it doesn't change, but the formula gets even more out of whack. Because I maintain it was out of whack to begin with. I maintain that, like, the days of the angry church lady, um, the way that they rated things didn't necessarily represent the actual audience. Well, what would be in whack, though, then? Um, it's, it, it's, <laughs> you know? it's, it's hard to tell because, again, you could go by um, absolute sales. Right. And even that, those numbers can, depending, like if I'm talking periodicals, like uh, magazines and comic books back in the day, sure. absolute sales worked weird because you had returns. Right. So it was really hard to keep track. Essentially what they would, uh, the ultimate litmus test would be if it's making money. Right. But then you'd have people who would like front and then the gatekeepers would be up on the higher level of the comics, you know, company going, well, this isn't taking off as fast as I want. Right. Yep. And the same thing with with television, because, you know, if you didn't have somebody gatekeeping Seinfeld, it would have been canceled earlier. And the same thing with with Simpsons. And I mean, not it'd be the opposite of gatekeeping, opening the gate for them because they weren't very popular. Uh, so it's weird. That's what I mean. Like when you're trying to think of things that are whack, they're either one way or the other, right? They're either all held within the ha the arms of the people who have the power or all held within these anonymous people who have no power, but no, uh, understanding, uh, to be able to go through it. That kind of goes towards my authoritarian, uh, theory, by the way. Uh, but I wanted to bring that up because, your version of the the church ladies have to be somebody like the sad puppies mm -hmm. for the modern day, right? And the Kinda, Hugo yeah. Awards, right? Yeah, it's the same kind of thing that you see. But that was that, like you said, that was organized so quickly to do that to take over the Hugo Awards. Uh, yeah, I might have that backwards because the sad puppies were the resistance group. They were basically the traditionalists, the conservative, mostly white male. Um, Hugo yeah. science fiction writers and such who are protesting right. the fact that the Hugos had essentially been taken over by a more progressive group that were yeah. promoting women and minorities and want to see the focus shift more towards them as the... Uh, or, it depends on which side you are, depending, right? Depending so, on which side you're on, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The Vox argument, the Vox uh, link that I have makes the sad puppies the people who were stopping... Uh, any changes in the Hugo Awards and mm -hmm. wanting to have them mired in old-fashioned ideas. Well, right? they want them to continue the way they were. Um, right. And I'm not saying they're right or they're wrong. I'm just saying it's interesting how they're still a group. They're still engaged in identifying one way or another. And I think you're thinking of the rabbit puppies or something like that, which is the other way, right? Um, they were arguing back and forth about what the Hugo Awards should be. And we've seen this happen on so many awards at that time. I know mm -hmm. the Parsec Awards had a bunch of different controversies, too, for the same thing. And people saying, no, you can't give this person this award because of the X, Y, and Z. And it always was their own idea of what a person was worthy of an award or not. Mm -hmm. And that goes back, like I said, to Don's sort of uh, church lady morality kind of thing of like, well, this person wasn't moral enough to deserve this honor or whatever. And, uh, but it, it, this is the, 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 the turnaround on these things are so fast, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, like, like I remember, and I, I think I sent you the article, I sexually identify as an attack helicopter mm -hmm. and how that just like destroyed that author's, 
uh, life because both sides, one thought one thing and one thought another and didn't realize this was a trans person writing um, Mm -hmm. and having a conversation about it. And they still uh, can't use their regular name because of of the – the the breakdown because people get so invested in one side or another their emotions just explode and they they make these assumptions about people and that's like that's where the danger of the gatekeeping comes from so i think now i'm gonna like toss up my difference between an authoritarianism so Mm -hmm. and it's the two different sides and i i you know i being an english teacher i i often use uh, symbols from that so if you if you think of things they used to call them like the divine masculine and the defined feminine right so the masculine side of things and the feminine side of things and we all have different elements within ourselves but if you looked at like the classical elements of those things um the masculine uh tends to identify things like rules and regulations and ways of doing things right so when people talk about you know the patriarchy which i think is a is a misnomer but what i would call toxic masculinity is like authoritarian bureaucracy where rules and structures become so rigid they don't work for the whole of the group right so they they produce power and wealth in the hands of a a small group or an individual and so they they have unbending uh, uh they they don't won't have adapting rules and regulations this is kind of like the tyranny of the few this is authoritarian bureaucracy. This is sort of like the masculine side of things. So then if I was going to say that, what's the opposite? It's authoritarian community where uh, when community members get together, they witness something and they have an expression and they focus on a small group or an individual's needs. And through implicit and explicit social control, they force a unanimity of uh, – unanimity or you know unanimity, unanimity of belief yeah. yeah yeah thank you of beliefs and behavior so common rules and guidelines are replaced with this emotional experience alone so like you hear a lot of people get really upset and get like they were on the side of the good and then they suddenly became the bad and they said i didn't know what the rules were suddenly i can't say this anymore and now i'm the bad person for all this kind of stuff it's the tyranny of the many. Uh, it's this idea of authoritarian community. And that's kind of like what we're seeing in this rise of, right? So there's always these elements on both sides. You've got like this really strong authoritarian rules-based stuff that people don't change. And then you've got this community which has its own sort of rules and shame-based organization. But it does – It's no, I want to say rules. They're not rules. They're just witnessing – the needs of that group and you're constantly lost because there are no definitive rules. So when you have both of those sides in conflict, people are, are lost because that what they want is they want, and you hear this from the right and you hear this from the left. These, I just want to know the rules of the road. What can I say? What can I say? What is right? What is wrong? I just want to have an understanding of what to do in that respect and i want it to be fair so that everybody can be can follow these rules and 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 nobody is left out and so the problem though right exactly no matter what rules are set up they're always going to advantage some groups and disadvantage others it doesn't matter right it's impossible for it to be truly balanced 
And, yeah. Well, it can be more balanced than it has been at times, of yes, course, right? Definitely. And and that's where, like, you're you're right. You're never going. And this is the problem: is people want you know uh, equilibrium in life, and you don't get that. Mm-hmm. You're either up on one thing or you're down on another. I have a friend of mine who says, you know, that EKG in 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 uh, when you're looking in a hospital, there's a reason why that that represents life because if you're flatlined, you're dead. So if your life is going flatlined because everything's either perfect, you're not achieving the ups and downs of life. You're never seeing where the problems are, and you're never getting any kind of joys. So it's important to find out where the rules don't fit. It's important to find out where community is toxic, and people need to be able to be a little more flexible. But both of those are authoritarian sources. Because they're forcing people away from an individual understanding of the world. Yeah, but the 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 thing that confounds that, because I think of that idea of the the flat line, like that's terrible. Unless you're a Buddhist, then it's the idea, which kind of goes to the point. <laughs> P- yeah, people forget that. Like I say, society isn't a thing. Either side of an issue isn't just. It's A versus B. Within each side, there's going to be different little groups that are all bumping together. It's just they look like a big mass because they're all sort of heading in the same direction. But a lot of times they're not. And that's that's kind of what, what you're uh, what you start start running into is if those angry church ladies can start getting stuff banned, eventually it'll fall apart because if they really are just one little group of old biddies who are just pissed off about that Mr. Osborne and his long hair. And (laughs) there's enough people who are fans of what they're protesting and they make that known through sales or counter protests. Then the people who are ultimately deciding, say what music to publish are going to go where the money is. It's even the idea of gatekeeping. It's not like there is a gatekeeper. There's a bunch of them and it's whatever direction most of them seem to be moving at the same time as how you're going to see things pan out. And that's why it's almost impossible to have any kind of rules for what can I do, what can I say, because the people making those rules aren't one monogamous whole. They're a whole pile of little groups that are all sort of screaming about the same thing. And then that goes with what I said before. Nowadays, it's particularly tough because... Uh, information changes so quick that different groups, even within the dominant group, can get dominance at any given time, and it can all change overnight or within minutes. Yeah. And ideally, laws and justice should be handling this. And that people say, well, the legal process works so slowly. Well, there's a reason behind that, is it just mm-hmm. doesn't want to be caught up in the emotions of the moment, it has to be able to take a look at the long view of things to yeah. be able to say, like, what kind of society are we trying to support and grow towards, right? So ultimately, you should have a definitive series of rules and regulations that you can all live by. It's those social controls that have gone whack, especially wackadoo with social media for that reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. No, no. By the way, Jack, what you're talking about is actually called the horseshoe theory. The horseshoe theory of uh, politics, which basically says that the far left and the far right ultimately both at the extremes both basically become yeah totalitarian in one form sure. or another, right? Of that, course. So they they bend back towards each other at the end. You got this. Yeah. So it's not. So we tend to think of right and left as a line, 
but it's actually right. a horseshoe. I agree. And I teach that with my students. I tell them that if you go to the far left of communism, you end up hitting the far right of fascism. Yep. Right? It's almost more of a and, loop, but horse, yeah, theory, horseshoe yeah, works too. For sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, so, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's the 80s. I learned this lesson when I was a kid because at the beginning of the 80s, the uh, outrage against you know Dungeons and Dragons was mostly coming from the uptighty righties. A few years later, the loosely lefties, not wanting to be left out, were telling me how the music I was listening to was bad, and that's how we got the PMRC. And then they both decided to team up against Mortal Kombat when you get to like the end of the decade. So <laughs> that's that's why, like I say, if you want to argue against, um, I'll say, incorrect, inappropriate, or overstepping gatekeeping, I don't think any side perspective or faith has a particular monopoly on that. I think they all do it whenever they can. It's just at certain moments, certain ones of them are a little more prevalent. But it'll, it'll come back around, and the other side will get their chance to be idiots, too. Yeah. I, no, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I have a link, and I'll send it to you. And it's basically um, talking about gatekeeping in music, right? And how mm. people get really irate about whose music is real music and who it isn't and stuff like that and not being somebody who is into that community it was a bit of a shock for me but i went even deeper and i found uh, an article on how to stop gatekeeping within the queer community so even in lgbtq communities there's these conversations about what you can say and what you can't say and what's appropriate and what's inappropriate when in in the end we do so much better by maybe stepping back a little bit from the ego that we have and saying, hey, it would be really cool to hear your reasonings behind stuff and go, oh, wow, yeah, that's not why I do it or that's not what I would call it, but that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't sell. It doesn't make money and it doesn't give certain people power. Remember, if you have... If you have managed to seize the 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 chair, seize the bullhorn, seize the seize the censorship device, whatever metaphor you want to use, that gives you a huge amount of power, and that's right. really what people are constantly craving and want. And it doesn't matter what community we're talking about, whether we're talking about the LGBT community, the audio drama community, it can be the community of uh, experts on ants or spiders. Mm. It doesn't matter. It's all about humans, going back to what Jack said much earlier, being tribal and basically wanting to be the head of your tribe. Yeah. And being the one who decides what's going to be said and what's not and what's good and what's bad. Yeah. And, but there's, there's got to be people like me who hate that stuff too, right? I mm-hmm. guess there's a tribe of us too. <laughs> yep, there, absolutely, there's a tribe of us. <laughs> Because I do, I despise all of that stuff. I really do despise anybody, and I I don't know where it comes from, but anytime somebody starts telling me, um, oh, well, this is what we all think, my first thought is, oh, really? Who are you speaking for? Because everybody's an individual, (laughs) and I I could sit down. There's a great Emo Phillips. uh, Do you remember Emo Phillips? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a great uh, sketch that he does about two like Baptists coming together, and they're like, "Oh, I'm. Are you from like a new reform Baptist?" And the other guy says, "Oh, or or whatever else." And he goes, "And there's always like two options." And he goes, "Oh, and this." And he goes, "Oh, and me too." And he goes down for like 35 levels, right? And then he gets to one what they're not agree about, and he goes, "And I said, die heretic." And I, you know, and I kill him because <laughs> that's what it comes down to is like, no matter how long you talk, you're going to come to a point of disagreement. 
agreement. The mm-hmm. real question is, when you get to that point, how do you handle it? Right. Yeah. And I can, yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, I'm going to pre- present a little counterpoint, however, uh, at least when it comes to the media. Okay. And mm-hmm. now this is an area where I'm talking about um, publishing, but I guess it, it depends. Okay. I'm going to argue for a moment here. Okay, that gatekeeping is both sometimes, not always, again, this is not an absolute, sometimes is both necessary and beneficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, because sometimes if you don't have gatekeeping, you just end up with a huge giant mess. And one of the best examples of that is Kindle Direct Publishing, uh, the <laughs> self-publishing industry. The self-publishing industry basically is the result of Amazon just said, yeah, anyone who wants to can publish a book through us. Here's, our, here's the software. Here's the system, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and so anyone has. And they're putting up like a couple, 10,000 books a day are being put up on Amazon and such. And people are just putting up whatever crap that they want. And the end result has been it's just turned into a giant mess and most people, not most people, but there are many people who are like self-published books, ew. Even though there's some very good ones out there, they're completely lost in the massive tsunami of bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas the previous, the old days, the publishers, even though they did publish bad stuff, to hear there's lots of publishers who published crap, especially during the great pulp era and the days yeah. when you could publish lots of stuff and almost anything really and get it and get at least a few sales. Um, pre-TV, that kind of thing. But anyway, um, but the key point here is is that the publishers served a purpose, which was mm-hmm. to get rid of that 90% that was crap and then maybe take that 10%, best 10% and then try to find the gems within it, right? Um, so you had all these writers that would basically mm, yeah. constantly be writing to the publishers, like, here's my new manuscript, all these wannabe writers. And the publisher right. would kind of look at the slush pile and they kind of glance, read a few chapters, and they'd go, yeah, your characters are flat, you don't know how to use periods, you don't know how to use commas, whatever. Keep trying, kid. And they'd, or you're, and they'd send it back and the young writer would maybe, you know, publish it some more and then send it out. And then you keep trying until eventually maybe they produced something that was good or they gave up. Whereas nowadays, no, they don't even bother to send it to the publisher. They just publish it on Kindle and then they yeah. go on social media and cry about the fact that they have no sales. <laughs> and and theoretically, you're right. But I've got this lovely book. I was trying to find it to be able to do it. It's called Rotten Rejections. And mm-hmm. it's all the greatest writers in the world and the rejections that came from their publishing companies. Yep. You know, <laughs> it's people that we consider to be classics and the rejections that they got. So who knows? Ideally, that would be the best thing. Like the, the the best solution for that is to start a company where you pay people to read everything as much as possible. And then you, you know, these people are, you know, you trust them just like you used to go to a bookstore and take a look at the list or the movie. You'd go to a uh, 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 blockbuster and they would have John's picks for the day kind of thing. And you get these fast readers to be able to sit there and go, you know, this is a, this is like 80% Tolkien 14%, uh, you know, um, something else, whatever. If you like this particular style, this would be really good. Don't read this. This hasn't even been edited, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You you do need a kind of uh, gatekeeper I- in one way or another, and, and, and that's where the teachers of us come in because we're always looking for what's crap and what's not. So yeah. Well, Amazon, what's happened is actually the democratization of gatekeeping once more. So on Amazon, that's what the rating and review system is. Cool. It's, 
because basically you people review the stuff that they like and then that in theory the algorithm kind of causes that to go up you know floats up instead of down and so in theory I mean, in theory, actually, Amazon even has its own imprints where sometimes what they'll do is if a writer is consistently putting out popular stuff, they'll go to that writer and say, hey, want to be part of our imprint? We'll, we'll give you extra promotion. We'll even pay you and whatever else. We'll give you these, these other various you know, perks. And the writers say, hell yeah. Or their publishers, major publishers now that do that. They look for the people that are getting the reviews. So what's happened is the democratization of gatekeeping, but there are, there are limits to that. There are, like the thing is, again, you can't um, expect young writers, and especially in some of the less popular genres, to aspire because they've got nothing to aspire to. Like it's, right. it's some cases, like actually going back to when it came up earlier this year on this podcast, um, English light novels, original English light novels. There are no gatekeepers, there are no standards, and even the people who right. like, like light novels they read the translated ones, but they won't touch the original English ones because their opinion is that they're all crap. Right. Because most of them are. There are a few, right. however, um, that are not. And that's one of the problems that, you know, the reader, it, it, that whole genre is having a horrible time growing and developing the original English light novel, What I mean, because yeah. the crap books are weighing them down and they can't get over that label. And it's because they needed a gatekeeper. They need someone to sort through and say, hey, no, no, no. These books are gems. Those books are crap. But these books are gems and these are worth checking out, which exists a little bit, again, in form of Amazon democratization, but nowhere right. near as much as it should. And, and, and that the, yeah the, the Amazon democratization who are these people like what kind of qualifications they are they could be just Joe exactly. blows sisters uncles and the bat here is from Rotten Rejections the Diary of Anne Frank okay the girl doesn't it it seems to me have a special perception or feeling which would lift this book above the curiosity level okay. <laughs> that was one of the rejections that came with it. I love the one from William Faulkner's Sanctuary. Good God, I can't publish this. We'd both be in jail. <laughs> it's it's a hilarious little uh, book, by the way. It's like a beautiful mm. little literary companion. with, uh, And that's just some of them. There's a ton of them that are good. So there's no easy answers to any of this, which mm. is why I say stop, stop locking the gates. I mean... Let let the opportunity for people to actually uh, come up with ways of being able to manage good works from bad works through intelligent people and not through social control or through some kind of um, public... Because remember, publishers will also... like. I mean, how difficult was it to get um, Harry Potter published? She didn't get it, it published right away, right? And there's and and um, I think even you know Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which not a lot of people know of now, but was published in every language, including Inuit, um, was more published more than the Bible for one year. Uh, he had to self-publish it because nobody would get it. So mm -hmm. um, popularity does not equal necessarily what is what is the publishers want. We would always love to say a publisher reads a really good book and says that's great. But the truth is they read lots of really good books that they don't think they could sell or doesn't fit their particular model one way or another. Right. And that's where the democratization of publishing, self-publishing overall, is probably a good thing. I actually am in favor of For it, sure. but it does have some big flaws. 
And Absolutely. so th- it goes back to the moderation, all things. We do need some gatekeeping. Some gatekeeping yes. is actually useful, um, right. especially considering that if people don't, the internet's a beautiful example of this. If people do, <sighs> if you just give people the internet, their brains just shut down and they wander away and they get nothing from it. Right. Right. They need, there needs to be a certain gatekeeping that say, no, 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 people that they trust who say basically, no, 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 these things are okay. Like these certain things are worth looking at or okay in one form or another. And again, we've democratized it out and we've, we're clutching our way through, but it does mean, I mean, and also another thing to continue on with the idea of pushing back on the knee and saying that we do need gatekeepers is misinformation. We are living as we have discussed in previous um, times. Um, we are living in area era of misinformation, like massive amounts of it, some of which are Absolutely. is actually hurting people. Some of which is actually sure. doing damage to society. In that, do we not? Do we just let that run rampant? Especially when it may be affecting twenty, thirty, forty percent of the population, or God knows how many people think that Clinton, Obama and Biden are reptilians, right? I mean, <laughs> I, there have been polls that give some really scary numbers. Um, yeah. That's the thing, right? There needs to be at some point someone to say, you know, this stuff is just not good for public consumption. Right. Um, if we if it's a, if we make it a free for all at that point, I God, I don't want to use this example, but I'm going to use it anyway. Child porn, like if if it's yeah. a free for all, then guess what? That stuff ends up being on the table too. Yeah, I mean, we do sure. need a certain amount of gatekeeping. It's just as a society, yeah. we need a certain amount of saying, you know. This is overall good for society, and this is bad because society itself is not always the best judge of those things, at least as an aggregate. Yeah. See, I think I think you guys are kind of right. There we go. Um, okay, next on the big bingo card. Okay, I just, I just need one more, Don. Come on, keep going. <laughs> Come on. All right. Because when you talk about stuff like uh, English light novels not getting any, any press, the specific kind of gatekeeper you're looking at there is, would be a cheerleader is somebody to, to kind of hype them up in the mind of the public. What you're getting is... No, actually, let me stop for a sec there. That's not okay. actually what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the need for someone to basically say, this is good, this is bad, therefore, if you're on the bad pile, you need to work harder, or you need to up your game, and this is the stuff on the good pile, you should be encouraged and keep, should keep going. So not, just, not a cheerleader so much as I would argue an editor or an arbitrator well, I, in some way. Yeah, but I'm going to go back to say you're actually talking about a cheerleader in in effect because if you're going to say this is good, this is bad, you've got an audience that's still going to say, I don't give a shit, there's 100 million Japanese ones I can pick from, I don't need these stupid English ones. That's true. You, you need that something. It's a t- You need the, the cheerleaders, the gatekeeper that works in the other direction, that doesn't keep ideas out. It puts ideas in people's heads. Mm-hmm. And I think what you guys are getting at is the idea that some kind of gatekeeping is inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's it's not necessarily that you need it. It's that it's going to happen because uh, for one reason, like the song says, uh, freedom of choice is what you've got. Freedom from choice is what you want. And gatekeeping helps with that. That if, if it, it goes with the idea of the cheerleader, if I have somebody whose reviews I trust, I don't have to go say... Um, to Netflix and pick from the 158 million films they have, I can look at what, you know, like Film Bob says, and I guess I kind of, my tastes are like his, and if Film Bob recommends it, I can check this out. Mm -hmm. 
I'll, I'll follow that because again, it's, it's that volume and what you're getting at now, um, when you're talking about facts and this is, this is again, going to that idea of journalistic integrity, the, that kind of gatekeeping gets trickier, especially nowadays. Cause where I said, um, the volume has broken things even more. It's even to the point that we can flavorize our facts. And we've talked about that before. Mm. Uh, I can get the news of the day from the Klingon perspective if I really want somewhere on the internet because there's just that much competition for eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets difficult because at that point, people don't have to care about facts. As human beings, we very seldom do. We only care about facts when it's in our face. And that's why you see the... um, Or in our favor. In our favor (laughs) is the better one, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm going to I'm going to say in our face because it's it's the idea um if you've ever seen Eric the Viking. Yes. Your island is sinking. I love no it's that not. One. Yeah. And we're real, fine. Thank you very much. Yeah. And in real life there's a point where people would be like, "Nope, I'm going to change my opinion because when it comes down to living or dying and you've got something I won't say irrefutable, but it hits really close to home. That changes your perspective in a big hurry. Because, again, human beings, not only are we dumb and shallow, we're also cowardly at heart. And that's where you get that problem. Because to have, like, say, a factual gatekeeper nowadays is so tough. Because we've been groomed and we've done the grooming. Because, again, it's, it's reciprocal. That we can cocoon, we can make sure we only hear exactly what we want, and there's plenty of people and organizations that, to profit, are totally willing to give us exactly what we want. So that idea that, like you know, the uh, the the that that um, the Clintons are actually reptilians, to convince people who believe that otherwise is next to impossible because you're going to have to find somebody on their wavelength to say that, and you're not going to have that until. That kind of attitude, like we were saying before, is common enough that they want to split off from the group so they can feel special again. And they're not reptilians. They're from Alpha Centauri. They're regalians. Ah! And then you get the, the whole other... Because human beings don't run on fact unless it's, it's irrefutably demonstrable. That's why, like, uh, you guys don't teach grade school kids. But if you think about grade school... That's why you beat them over the head. One plus one is two. And you have one of something and one of something. You stick them together and there's two. And you have to keep doing that. And there are kids that will fight you. No, it's not. It is. How many are here? One, two. Okay. So one plus one is two. Uh-uh. Because, again, some people are more stupid and recalcitrant than others. Mm. But, again, it's, it's, it's that idea that that kind of gatekeeping is 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 its own special magical thing because if I'm talking about entertainment, then I'm working backwards. The audience is the major influence. I'm taking my cues from them and just acting as that echo chamber and giving it back. If we're talking about fact, ever since Google created their algorithm, we haven't had to care about that for a very long time. Right, right. It's, I, I'd like mm. to ask a question to get us back to the DNA 
something. I read an article that says, I'm a fake fan and proud of it. Gatekeeping is present in nearly every fandom, but appears especially prevalent in geek and nerd culture. It's interesting how they wrote fandom, because to me, fandom is, is entirely geek and nerd culture. But do you think it's more prevalent in geek and nerd culture, gatekeeping, than it is in other elements of humanity? I would say yes. And, and re- why is that? And the the reason is, is because the the type of people who tend to actually uh, go towards geek and nerd culture. Um, usually the people that go towards geek and nerd culture are more people with, uh, or often, um, I'm trying to think of how to say this in a nice way. Um, Comic book guy. What? Comic book guy. <laughs> no, is that what I wasn't quite going to say that. Um, okay. But I'm actually, okay. <laughs> People who go towards geek and nerd culture mostly tend to be of a more intellectual bent or see right. themselves as such. All right? Right. Also, at the same time, they tend to be more introverted people who mm-hmm. are usually bubbling over with um, uh, – they're kind of needy in the sense that they want to be respected and they want right. to be proven right. And they okay. want others to respect their opinions and everything. So if – so. They tend to become very hardened very easily in their positions and opinions, especially about certain geek or because they become very personal and very near and dear to their heart, especially okay. fandoms. And then they, you know, and then when they encounter resistance to that, that or the opportunity to gatekeep that, they dive right in because right. they want to be right because it's a it's a way of it's not just about them being right about the show; it's about them being right as a human being. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, To them, it tends to be very, very personal. Star Trek's a way of life, man. (laughs) That's exactly right. Exactly it. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So it it, it is, in some ways, it's their lifestyle. It's their identity, basically. Right. Right. And so if you're an Arudo fan or if you're a Star Trek fan, doesn't matter. If that's your identity and someone's challenging that by saying, oh, Star Trek's stupid and Arudo, that's like that stupid Japanese crap. That's a personal attack on you. Because it is your identity. Gotcha. Now, okay. I would say that other fandoms, because remember, there are fandoms of other kinds. Like, you can be a car fan, you can be a sports fan. No, For sure. And I suspect there's lots of gatekeeping and such. That goes on with them, too, because your sports team yeah. can be your identity, too. So can your car you know, manufacturer brand. or Like, there are all kinds of things that can be your identity. But but geeks, those are approved of gatekeeping. Right? Yes, there's that, too. Well, that's, exactly that's right. the other catch. Is that yeah, I think yeah. that we nerds basically have lived in the shadows up until like the last decade or so when geek, geek culture became common culture. We often right. lived in the shadows for the most part. You know, I say we for obvious reasons. That yes. they, you know, we weren't socially accepted. We were kind of a subculture within society. Mm-hmm. And if society, and if so, being accepted by society or being accepted by our our kind or that was really important to us. That's that's because mm-hmm. we were rejected by society to begin with. So being accepted within our culture, within our groups, that was even more important. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. At least that's my take. Don, tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to I'm I'm going to tell you you're wrong and right. Drink. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There we go. All right. Because I'm going to say no that geek culture is absolutely not different for everyone else for all of the reasons Rob said. Uh, okay, I still don't. Quite, I still don't agree. I I think you're. I think sort of, but okay. Let's hear your your take on it. 
well, you just explained it. Because every group, once you identify as part of a group, does that. I mean, mm. uh, a good example not to get mired in it would be politics. Politics, sports, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But if you look at, say, politics, like American politics, each side has a concept for the people who are just posers. Mm, that's true. Remember, remember that yeah. if you're like a Lucy lefty, then there's people that have to be canceled because they don't properly fit the ideals. And if you're an uptighty righty, there are the rhinos who pretend to be conservatives but don't espouse true conservative values. And then what on each side that matters, they argue about forever. Because like Rob said, once you declare yourself as something, that thing becomes part of your identity, and you have to protect your identity, which means in order to remain that precious, special, magical snowflake, you have to differentiate yourself from other parts of your group. And I can't remember. And, and an... the highest level of, of politics nerd or geek is the policy wonk. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so I'm a policy wonk. That's part of their, their ID. Not me. I'm just saying that's, that's an identity thing, right? Mm -hmm. so, anyway, you're going ahead. Sorry, didn't interrupt. Well, no, and that's and and that's kind of that's that's kind of how it works, and that's why I've always said, as soon as you declare yourself as something, give up, go home. You're now an idiot because that's where the dogma starts creeping in, and this is a big part of why. Because if I say I'm a Trekkie, well, I'm declaring my fandom a major part of my identity, but what does that fandom mean? And why is it important that I identify as a fan? That's going I'm going to protect that image. I'm going to I'm gonna have to differentiate myself from the rest of the fans, especially if I'm interacting with other groups that think the group I identify with are, are a bunch of numpties. I'm gonna have to show how I, I'm not like them. I'm one of the. I'm one of yeah. the good ones. Okay, I'm actually, not a can I, can I'm not a trekkie. I'm a trekker. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> actually, and now let's take that to the next step. Um, when we're talking about gatekeeping, so because it's your identity, you suddenly have standards that you want the other people of your identity to follow, or so you start gatekeeping because you feel that they reflect on you. So you want to make so it's not not always about differentiating yourself from other trekkers or trekkies. Take your pick. It's sometimes mm -hmm. it's about okay, what's a true trekker and true trekkie. What are the ideals they should hold up to? How should they behave, etc. What's real? You know, what's a real trekker's perspective on this subject or real trekkie's perspective on that subject or what? How does how etc. So mm -hmm. you become a gatekeeper at that point for the true i for the true form of whatever it is that's your identity, or at least some people do. Again, this comes back to your personality, and this is where things change. And this is where I I would still argue I'm a little bit correct. Uh, I think I agree with almost everything Don says, but I will say that because of per, because there are certain types of personalities that you tend to find in geek culture. Uh, especially you know nerd culture and that that aren't as common say in sports culture or other cultures but you know geeks t again tend to tend to be more on the of the intellectual bent and there is a difference in mentality and personality and just inclinations between them and say your average jock sports fan who who may love the numbers and everything and may have their favorite team etc 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 but they have different ways of expressing it and also it they can What's the best way to put it? Um, they, because they're more socially accepted overall, they're more they're more able to take. Uh, I guess you could say 
um, hits to their fandom and to their identity. Like if I make fun of someone for being a Red Wings fan, even if it's their identity, they'll go, aha, yeah, okay. If I do that to a geek, he'll say, ah, Star (laughs) Trek's stupid. They're going to hate me for life and look to dox me and uh, maybe hunt and maybe kill my cat. Okay, it's, I mean that's an exaggeration, a, but that's a, a wing, wow. It's a, even a more dangerous that. than that. It's even more dangerous than that when you think about it. So what we've identified, if I'm correct, me if I'm wrong, past gatekeepers were people of power who gatekeeped because it was their financial uh, ways of being able to maintain on top in one way or another. Yes, the modern day gatekeeper does it because it's their identity, and that's very dangerous yeah but you guys are getting way way too i can tell you're old because you're getting way too hung up on that idea because that's not i just came up with that idea so i don't know how hung up i am so because because it's going because you're you're bumping into that idea of like the uh the 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 mob morality right Mm -hmm. and that's always been a thing that's always 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 been a thing like the sports fans, like I was saying, a Red Wings fan wouldn't laugh it off. They'd punch you in the face. A, a, a Maple Leafs fan would because they don't have a choice. <laughs> sports <laughs> joke. <laughs> yeah. But, and you're right, it's more ingrained, but it's the exact same process. Um, because if you talk about like sports ball fans or uh, something you guys are probably more familiar with, I know I am, if you take like politics, there's always, I hate the term, thought leaders. There's always the people that. Mm. The, the fandom gathers around that they believe, at least for a while, espouses what they think is the, the, the true dogma of, of our position and my identity as a whatever I call it. Mm-hmm. It all works exactly, exactly the same. It's, and it's that idea, too, that if you look at, like, say, rabid sports fans, not all Trekkies are rabid Trekkies, but the, there are... Mm-hmm. A, a, a number of them there's there's they are out there and the problem is historically those are the ones you hear about sports ball works a little different because like rob was saying it's at least for a while was generally more more um prevalent throughout society so you had to kind of finesse it a little bit i couldn't paint all s- hardcore sports ball fans as, as nut jobs like i could say in the 80s with you know comic book fans or that but you would still get those tastes of it, and the principle is still the same, that once I identify as a something, as a fan of something, a believer in something, like I said, protecting that identity becomes a thing, and it becomes reciprocal. So the idea of true fandom, be mm-hmm. it political fandom, sports fandom, Star Trek fandom, it becomes part of my identity, and there's a reciprocity because I'll come up with parts of that for myself based on what I need it to do. So if I'm surrounded by Trekkies and um, and um, I want to differentiate myself from them, I will maybe take the opinion, no, Captain Pike was the best, just to be contrary, just to be opposed from them. If I find certain thought leaders or other members that adopt my idea for whatever reason, I can congeal around them. And then I formed one of those new little groups that I was talking about that kind of bounce around. And then it'll become kind of a... A, a dominance thing depending on whose group becomes loudest or gets the most attention or whose thought leader does that because the thought leader becomes like your flag bearer um i think back there was a back in the 90s somebody wrote the uh independent cartoonist um card game 
it, it was a joke, but it was you gained points for certain things, and that's what the points were all based on. So, like, self-publish a comic was five points. It gave you, like, five notoriety points. Mm. Uh, joining joining a prestigious APA gave you, like, 15, you know. Being interviewed by uh, Amazing Heroes is good for, like, 25, you know. <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. As, as we found out, shake hands with Phil Folio. That makes you an instant hit for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and and it was it was a joke on that because uh, again it's it's that idea that yeah like I said I think the big thing that everybody frights is that re- reciprocity is that it's not that there's a gatekeeper as that there's a bunch of them trying to be the loudest and it'll move around based on circumstance and situation and events. Hmm. Okay. Okay, you convinced me. <laughs> it was it was that your final thesis about gatekeepers? Don't uh, I don't know because again, like I say, I think the yeah the 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 big takeaway is is that idea that there isn't one. They come from different sources, and like I say, I think what you kind of ended up happening was that uh, tying in with what you guys keep getting at, because like I say, you guys, and I know this from our emails and that much more than me are concerned about mob morality. Or and I think of. well no it's 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 whatever morality the mob ascribes to it's it's variable. Mm-hmm. But it ties in with that idea that like I say I think you're seeing that it's not new but Google ultimately broke any pretense of any of our actual uh socially pr- intellectual idea social prominence measuring standard way beyond repair Mm -hmm. now it's just whoever's loudest at the moment wins well for this podcast that was definitely me (laughs) i don't know jack is uh jack i'm in there (laughs) (laughs) okay that's right right i'm different because i'm dead inside no longer feel things (laughs) Okay. No, no, that's fair. So, Jack, your final thoughts on uh, media gatekeepers? I, I, I think this is a really interesting conversation, and and I, I will have to take a lot of what you guys have said back and think about it. And I appreciate that aspect of it. And I think, um, in the end, I am kind of disturbed about how much gatekeeping is tied to personal identity and tribalism, mm. and and. But like 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 you said, Rob, on the same level, there's got to be, and I there's got to be some sort of limitations because just having this democratization. Can you imagine living in a town where everyone's a blacksmith? You'd all starve to death, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know. So at some point, people have to sit there and say, "No, no, no, we've got enough blacksmith. You know, you go make some bread, or you know, like stuff <laughs> like that." So there's 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 there are all these elements, but who makes those choices? And that's the question about who are who are the gatekeepers? And well, once awful. upon a time, it was, of course, the invisible hand of the free market, as I believe Adam Smith would say. Right. Um, but we are in a post-scarcity age, so that's not always true anymore. Um, we have to decide what is the, you know, I guess, is it just power that people are seeking? Or is it money? Mm-hmm. Is it uh, notoriety? Or maybe those are both just tools to power money. I don't know. Um, but whatever. Anyway, the key point is, what are we... Are, are, we're no longer in that age 
of um, you know of everything being decided by the invisible hand of the market. We are now kind of at the whims of the public, basically. And I mm-hmm. think a good example of this is, without going into certain directions, um, COVID nineteen. And I, and I mean this in this way. Um, I've noticed, and you guys probably have noticed as well, that there have been some huge uh, psychological changes, like as and in society, in North American society overall, as a result of COVID nineteen. Like mm-hmm. being stuck, you know, in our homes during shutdowns and things like that, had huge effects on people's psychology and the way they mm-hmm. saw the world and the way they saw themselves. And there are huge amounts of uh, frustration that produced. In fact, I would argue that some of the social protests and changes we've seen over the last year and a half, they were things that actually had happened pre- in previous years and no one cared. But mm-hmm. suddenly, because everyone was lacking control of their lives, they suddenly felt this need to just suddenly, they wanted something that to focus their emotion on. They, you know, they had all this emotional pressure. And... So this thing that everyone agreed on was, oh my God, this is horrible. This, you know, this thing, this thing that's happening to a minority group, whatever is horrible. Suddenly everyone's like, or, or the vaccine or anti-vaxxing or anti-masking or whatever. Oh my God, this is horrible. And people want that. They want that release. They want that sense of control. And mm-hmm. so my point being though, is that things that are happening outside of just money and power and all that can also greatly influence how the mob behaves and what mm-hmm. they go after and how they react to different things, right? Things right. people are reacting to now, as I said, may not be something anyone will care about here for various yeah, reasons. For sure. yeah. And some of that's just, you know, the society of the age we live in. Um, I, I, I worry about that too. Are, are you familiar with True Colors? In what way? It's a, for, it's a personality quiz. Oh. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I have heard of so, it. Yes. So there's four different colors, basically blue, orange, gold, and green. And I've used it as sort of like a getting to know students and stuff like that. And it's kind of nice because it gives you a bit of an idea of sort of like their learning, their basic learning strategies and the whole mm-hmm. bit. Yes. And very quickly, gold are like the most, they're, they're the people who need to be on time, want to sit in a desk, give, given work to do, need, you know, just they, they're very straightforward. Uh, clock watchers, cal- they'll fill their calendar out all the time. Basically, as we get older, we get golder, right? You know, we mm-hmm. become, become more responsible <laughs> that way, the responsible ones. And then the, you've got the orange people, which are like the spontaneous kinesthetic learners. Uh, you know, I don't want to go to school. My favorite class is gym, you know what I mean? Or, or baking or something like that, that they don't have to sit down and do that stuff. They want to keep things changing constantly so Mm -hmm. and then you've got the blue people and they tend to be like the people who are concerned about justice and your feelings and want to have those let's have this long boring talk about our feelings you know that kind of thing (laughs) as to use a quote um Mm -hmm. and then they they're interested in communicating that way and, and communication and arts is all big and then you have the green people which are the uh learners and they're interested in science and they they're just really curious about different things and so the the green people tend to be the smallest percentage in society they also tend to be the the only color that doesn't become more gold as you get older right and so for years i've been doing this since the 90s when i started teaching because my dad did it with me when i was a kid and i thought it'd be interesting to try and i noticed some changes as time has gone by 
Mm-hmm. Me- boys in high school, of course, are all orange, right? Because you know where your food is coming. You don't have to worry about all this kind of stuff. You just want to be in- entertained on a regular basis, and you don't want to sit down. You want to keep doing stuff. And the girls re- used to be mostly blue. And then you'd always have, like, two or three gold people. I knew one gold person automatically because she sat at the very front of the of this, of my classroom. And she said, Mr. Ward, could you, like, not bounce around so much? You know, like, it was just stressing her out because I was too energetic. And then, uh, and there would always be, like, one or two green people. And that was in the 90s. Fast forward to, like, the early 2000s, and then suddenly almost all the blue was gone. You might see one blue person. All the girls used to be blue, and now they were all orange like the other guys. And then I moved to a new school, and that's why I didn't think anything of it at first, but it's in the same community as the old school, so it's the same kids, basically. And I noticed big changes after we came back from lockdown. Mm-hmm. Stunning changes. And the first time it happened with the three classes, I thought, this has to be just some kind of fluke. And then the next semester, I got the same thing. And now all the, most of the students are split between green and gold, the two okay. smaller ones. And ne- ne- next to none of them are orange or blue. And so I thought... What does that mean? Well, green people are self-learners. So the kids that went home and were learning on their own and having to pick up all that stuff and got that kind of taste for being a self-learner and self-starter became green. And then the gold are the kids desperate for some kind of sameness, some kind of like schedule that they can trust because of all the changes that happened throughout the whole lockdown and procedure. They just want a sense of normalcy. I thought, wow. So it'd be very interesting to see how those changes happen. Now, it could be just a blip, and next year, if we go off and we're all, you know, all properly vaccinated and we're no longer in masks and things are happy today, maybe this will go. Or maybe this will be a change in an entire group of kids as time goes by. So it's fascinating. Sorry for taking so long, but I just thought it was a really interesting yeah. thing. Uh, I can say one of the reasons you might be seeing more golds is because of, well, the current generation are becoming, I would almost say, hyper aware of how difficult their lives are going to be. Like they're the, unlike the kids say in the 90s or that, they're literally looking at a life, they're looking at the environmental situation, they're looking at the economic situation, they're looking at, I see this a lot on Reddit. Yeah. They're looking at how am I going going to have a job? You know, they're, like no, they you're really right. Are. You're They're absolutely right. Like things people, like, mm-hmm. I won't have a job that I can guarantee I will have the rest of my life. You know, like people, generations before, you got into a particular line of work that you liked and you could go there until you retired. None of them feel like they're going to have that. And for good reason. Right. They don't feel like they're going to have a house. They're yeah. going to think they're, they don't feel they're going to feel lucky to have a car. Well, they may not need one, but whatever. Right. Um, and but they're more concerned in a lot of cases about, oh, I don't know, having oxygen and um, water <laughs> yeah, and food sure. and things like that, because which is something our generation never had to even think or worry about. But especially in the last year, I've noticed it is that there's a there's a huge amount of anxiety among young people that even the ones that are. Anyway, in general, about you know watching heat wave after heat wave happen, and you know right. chunks of the earth on fire, and natural disasters, and everything. And it's like, oh yeah, that climate change stuff is real. Oh get, oh we're screwed. <laughs> right. And they 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 they're keenly aware of this because you know we're all in our fifties. 
Yeah. They are the ones who are going to have to, when they're in their 50s, they're the ones who are literally going to have to be dealing with this stuff, assuming humanity is still around, and it probably will be. Right. <laughs> in one way or another. Yeah. In one way or another. But whether our civilization is still around, probably it will, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Anyway, Not according to the MIT. The MIT. Uh, you read that, did you? No, I didn't. Oh, so MIT in the 70s said that by the 2030s, society as, as we know it will be gone oh. and break down. And then, I did hear about that, yeah. And, and then they just re- went back and re-looked at their numbers and went, right on track! <laughs> <laughs> so that's not cool. So Yeah, well, I guess, and if they'd known about social media, they probably would have upped it a couple of years. <laughs> probably would have, that's right. We're ready for the dirty I'm- 30s again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's where we're headed for the Dust Bowl 30s based on the temperature. But anyway, yep. on that note, everyone, uh, thank you for listening to this long and rambling discussion. Uh, hopefully <laughs> those of you who are still around have gotten something from it. And if you have anything you want to say or add or give feedback, whatever, please drop by ObeyTheDNA.com for show notes and to leave a comment. <laughs> um, as per usual, thank you, Jack, for coming and joining us. And uh, it's, a, it's a ball. Thanks, guys. Yep, exactly. And uh, thank you, Don, for bringing the, bringing the negativity to the conversation. We always appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm joking, folks. I'm joking anyway, mostly. Um, and, and, and congratulations to those who won the uh, Don Bingo game and to those who lost the drinking game. All right. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Good night. Bye. One of me. One of me. One of me. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!